This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're listening to Fourth Estate, 2SER's weekly media affairs show. My name's Marcus Costello. Tonight, Annabelle Crabb breaks bread with Scott Morrison on Kitchen Cabinet and BuzzFeed teaches Philip Ruddock how to use Snapchat. So what does this mean for the state of journalism? Are they just making us forget how bad politicians really can be? And as Bill Shorten calls for the voting age to be reduced to 16, we ask, is the media doing its bit for younger voters? Joining us on the phone from Canberra is Amy Maguire, journalist with New Matilda. Welcome to Fourth Estate, Amy. Thanks, I'm actually in Brisbane, so a bit far away. <laughs> <laughs> and here in the studio, Lisa Visontin, journalist with Sydney Morning Herald. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me a nice French accent to my name. <laughs> <laughs> and representing the nation's 16-year-olds, Anthony Seagert is a year... What year are you I'm in, in at 10 school? at school. Year 10. So, yeah. Wow. Fun. <laughs> That's putting us all to shame. He's an aspiring journalist. He's mm-hmm. doing much better than I was doing when I was 16 years old. Uh, and you can see him regularly tweeting along with our show here. So it kind of goes to show that if you tweet at us often enough, you just might get on it the works. show. Social media works. <laughs> That's right. What's our, what's, our, uh, what's our handle? At the 4th Estate AU. Is uh, that right? Oh, yes. Oh, almost. almost. At 4th Estate AU. Oh. All letters, no numbers. No, the. So, last week, season five of ABC's Kitchen Cabinet took us into social service minister Scott Morrison's kitchen. Here's a clip from the show. So, what are you cooking? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing possibly a curry. We are doing a curry today, and yeah. uh, we're doing a Salankan seafood curry, nice. which is pretty simple. Even I can do it. And, uh, and we'll have some samosas as well before. So right. they're is, a little this trickier. Is your, this is your personal s- samosa scomosa recipe. Uh, That's what my about. staff have called them. Yeah, yeah the scomosas. Um, <laughs> where everyone's That's getting a- used to this new nickname. Um, all right. So can I help? Where do we start? Well, what I'm going to do is we're going to start with the uh, with the um, chapatis. Oh, you're making your own chapatis. We're make some chapatis because I find what a renaissance man you are. It, that's not quite what our guest, Amy Maguire, described <laughs> Minister Morrison as in her piece, Chunk Food Journalism, why Annabelle Crabbe's kitchen cabinet is toxic. She said, Crabbe has been hosting her cooking show, Kitchen Cabinet, for five seasons now, and no one has pulled her up on the fact that it's about as nutrient-rich as the majority of her desserts. 
she fluffs her way through interviewing some of the most powerful people in Australia by coating their numerous acts of structural violence with sugar frosting and expecting us to become so dizzy on sugar highs that we can't process their numerous failures. This show is about humanising Morrison. While the thousands of vulnerable asylum seekers who've been incarcerated for seeking refuge remain faceless and nameless, tucked behind bars thousands of kilometres away, so they become others, less than people. Amy joins us on the line from Brisbane. Amy, what was it about Scott Morrison's interview that stood out for you as bad journalism? Well, actually, I've been, I haven't been i have been a fan of the format for a very long time, and it sort of stretched back towards when Jenny Macklin, when she interviewed Jenny Macklin, who was the former Indigenous Affairs Minister, so I report mostly on Aboriginal affairs. But it's the entire premise of the show that's bad journalism to me. I mean, to me, it doesn't even equate with what journalism's about. And to me, it's fundamentally about under, understanding the structures of power that actually go towards really hurting and significantly hurting people and, you know, people who don't receive the same level of coverage or the same voice in mainstream media. So that's people like asylum seekers, but it's also people like Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders all around the country who are continually let down by our nation's politicians. And people accuse me of missing the point and saying it was just light entertainment. But to me, that was the easiest point to grab, um, point to grasp, because... Obviously, um, Crab has come to this talking about the fact that it's sort of a light-hearted look into the lives of our politicians. But to me, there's never a light-hearted look into the lives of our politicians because it fundamentally leaves people out. Um, and it doesn't explain how those forces actually go towards um, actually really, really hurting the people you know, the little people, really, who never get a voice in, in these matters. Well, we're so talking to about me, giving people a voice. I might just journalism. open up the conversation now to our studio guests. Lisa, you saw this show on TV last week. Mm-hmm. How did you find it? I don't have a problem with it, and I guess I'm sort of the total opposite to, to Amy. I do think there is a place for a light-hearted look at politicians' lives. Um, I completely take her point Um, that there is a broader problem with uh, platforms that do build themselves as um, political journalism and uh, sort of news and current affairs shows that invite politicians on uh, under sort of the premise of having a hard-hitting news interview and then don't do that. That is essentially a a platform for for propaganda. And, and, you know, you do see that happen from time to time when Scott Morrison appears on Ray Hadley's show and is given a bit of a free ride. However, I do, I think Annabelle Crabb and Kitchen Cabinet don't, bill themselves that way. They are they do straddle the divide between sort of political journalism, although I'd even question that, and entertainment. Um and and I think I think it just offers something different. I mean from sun up to sundown, politicians are given an immense opportunity throughout the day to appear on on radio shows, to appear on TV. I mean, before nine thirty today, Scott Morrison had already done three radio, uh, two radio interviews, and and a TV interview. And there's there's just so many, so much opportunity to go out there and listen to him trot out his justifications and his arguments for his policies. You know, there's Hansard records to go back over if you want to look for his justifications um, during his time as immigration minister. It's all out there. It's all been done. Um, I think this is just a chance for something a bit different. Yeah, that's exactly why I have a problem with it, I think, because I, don't, I think the media fundamentally has let down people who aren't in positions of that power. I mean, if you had a media that actually served its purpose, if you had a media, an Australian media that actually was fulfilling its role as the actual fourth estate, maybe there would be a place for those 
those um, types of shows, but the fact is there isn't. I mean, I think because, particularly in the area of Aboriginal affairs, which I'm very passionate about, I mean, Aboriginal people just don't get a voice. Asylum seekers just don't get a voice. There's these, but are you trying um, to make this show out as something that it's not? Because this is not a platform for anyone other than politicians. That's exactly why the problem, the, the show shouldn't be around. I mean, unless you have a show that's similar, similarly... redressing the power imbalance that's currently in Australian media, so giving voice to the most vulnerable. There's no point to them. I mean, mean, Scott Morrison is guilty of enormous acts of structural violence against our nation's most vulnerable. I I disagree with that. Like, I think think New Matilda itself does a great job of giving a voice to those people. I think The Guardian has done incredible work, incredible FOI work, in uh, scrutinising what's going on to the best of their ability on Manus and Nauru. And I think Sydney Morning Herald as well. We also try to do our best. I mean, I don't think you can can (laughs) lay the blame entirely on the media. No, but I would say the media is fundamentally letting down the most vulnerable, and I see that in Aboriginal affairs. I think that you've raised a really important point that, um, oh, well, you haven't raised it, but the fact is that the nation's journalists are just too complicit and too apathetic about what's actually happening in the country. It's like, a it's very the media as a whole. generalisation. All right, so if the no, nation... No, it's not. I mean, New Matilda and The Guardian are two outlets in a sea of media outlets that present this really uniform view of what's happening, and they never seriously challenge what's in... Um, what's um, political politics and this real problem of structural violence? It's Might really just letting down a lot of people. the focus in a little bit to this particular show. How is it that this show could better serve uh, the ABC's audience? I think it does, as um, we've heard before, um, as what Lisa says. Um, it does allow for some humanisation of the politicians. But I certainly understand what um, Amy is saying when it says when she's saying that, like, this isn't what they're for, it's not what they should be for. As journalists, they shouldn't be humanising them, they should be presenting the facts. I understand that, but I also think that um, Kitchen Cabinet's on the ABC and it's part of a very wide range of political shows and a lot of political context they've got. Australia's only free-to-air news channel that's constantly airing political news. I think that um, this is just one of the many shows on the ABC that does different journalism. I think I don't think it does different journalism as a whole. If you look at the whole of mainstream media, it doesn't actually stand out as that much. It's just very more it's more transparent about what it's trying to do, which is the difference. But in in a in the whole, I mean media let down the most vulnerable vulnerable every single day. A good politician should leave their their personal predilections, their faith, etc., at the door when they enter Parliament. But we know that's not always the case. So might it be that when we get an insight into someone's character, their background, we're better able to see what it is that they might, the platform they might honestly be operating from? Amy, would you say that's that's a fair um, insight? In, and, and that's actually what Kitchen Cabinet is trying to do. It's trying to dive a little bit deeper and see who this person really is and how they might actually be governing? But it largely isn't about that. It's about staying in power, and we see that in political reporting all around the, all around the place. And I think it explains the symbiotic relationship that journalists and politicians have, and it's a really unfortunate relationship. But we see that in the leaks that are continually going on, undermining each other and everything like that. I think it shows a really toxic relationship between politicians and journalists, and I don't think we need to know... I mean, you. I mean, you can find any political biography that'll do that, but 
I don't think this when you say the symbiotic relationship between politicians and journalists, are you suggesting that the likes of Annabelle Crabbe are feathering their nest for a time in which they may want to defect from uh, the the show that they're currently on and be sitting pretty for when a politician could feed them leaks because they've uh, they've made them look good in the past. I don't think Annabelle Crabbe's deliberately doing that, but that's what happens in, in politi- political journalism all the time. It's what they have to do. They have to cozy up to politicians, unfortunately, and that's what they end up doing. So they want to stay on side, and that's why you... I mean, look at the Rudd and the Gillard leaks, what happens there. You know, politi- uh, journalists are really in cozy with politicians, and I think this show... Um, sort of, it's more transparent in that way, but I don't think Annabelle Crabbe's deliberately trying to do that to try and get scoops or anything like that, but I think it's it's indicative of a, of a wider problem in political journalism. It's sort we're, of just We're talking about problem. cozying up to politicians and, like, new players on the scene. There's BuzzFeed politics, like BuzzFeed Oz politics, and, and they're known for engaging with politicians in ways that other media outlets never do. They got Julie Bishop talking about foreign relations, international relations, by way of emojis. Um, and just recently they had Philip Ruddock um, being taught how to use Snapchat, and it came it came across as like you know, uh, last generation man learns how to use new tech, and it was adorable. And Junkie then called them out for saying you know this was a fluff piece and this was clickbait at its best. Um, I'm 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 opening that up here. I might I might throw the Snapchat question to our representative sixteen year old, uh, Jack. Did you did you see that piece? Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I think that this is the kind of stuff that my generation is actually clicking on in a way. I know that sounds a bit terrible, but where the that's the kind of stuff that we love, and that's the stuff that we're sharing online, and through that. I think that um, they can link things to other stuff, like journalists are then linking it to the more harder news, and I don't think that's a problem. But also politicians are linking their cute stuff that they're doing, like Snapchat, um, to other kind of more hardline policies that they're bringing in. And I think that that's a great way for them to do that, to get exposure. But I think regardless of if they're on Kitchen Cabinet doing Snapchat stories or just doing any other tweeting, everything that they're doing is... um, Everything is so calculated and they're doing that in a way for them to know exactly what's happening and for them to know exactly, for them to share exactly the image that they want in the media. Um, So I don't think that regardless of whether they're on Kitchen Cabinet or Snapchat, they're still kind of shaping their own image how they want. Just to, I just want to butt in and go back to, to Amy's point about the symbiotic relationship between political journalists and politicians. I do, I do agree that that is, that is definitely a problem, um, what I think is different about Kitchen Cabinet is that Annabel Crabb is not a political reporter. She's not doing she is it. To, a political she, reporter, she's though. not. She's not reporting news. She might be a political within the broader political landscape, but she's not breaking news. She's not doing it for scoops. You know, it's it's different if you know Lee Sales was doing it, where she then has to turn around and give a hardline political interview or perhaps break news. It's it's a different kind of situation. Where I think the BuzzFeed stuff plays in and I find it a little bit more uncomfortable is the fact that it, it is people that are billing themselves as political political reporters um, that are trying to break news, that have that in their title, that are supposedly reporting and are, are giving politicians sort of soft interviews. And I don't know, it's just a bit kitschy to me. BuzzFeed 
did say that what we've seen so far of Philip Ruddock is just a teaser for something that they have in the works. Right. So they're priming a younger audience to come on board. You're on Fourth Estate. I'm Marcus Costello speaking with Amy McGuire from Brisbane and here in the studio Joining me is Lisa Visentin and Anthony Sergit. So last week, opposition leader Bill Shorten announced that if he's elected PM next year, he'll lower the voting age to 16 or 17. In the studio with us is Anthony. He's 16 years old. I think that it kind of validates Bill Shorten's point that he said, uh, and as he was coming up to make this announcement, he said, well, if 16, 17-year-olds can drive, they can work, they can even pay taxes if they're getting a certain amount, they can choose their medical care, why shouldn't they have the right to vote in policies and have a vote that in policies that actually have a genuine effect on their lives? Which is a fair uh, point to make, I think. But then... We also saw, um, I think it was Matthias Cormann coming out and saying it was a gimmick. And I think the timing of this is also um, quite kind of, um, it has to be looked at when he's at his lowest opinion polls ever. Um, and it's kind of, I think, genuinely, generally considered that Australian youth have a more progressive look on things and lean a bit more to the left um, rather than um, more like older people. And so maybe they could be seen, sorry, it could be seen as kind of, um, getting more votes for him. But I think that's a bit flawed in that argument because while we may see more um, larger uh, kind of sounding group of people who are progressive and would vote for Labor, I think there's a whole lot of youth that are spread right across the political spectrum that would also vote. Amy, I'm bringing you back in here. You said at the top of our show that you just don't think that the Australian media landscape is diverse enough, that yep. voices are being marginalised. Do you think that the media is doing its bit to inform the the youth? I think um, I am always impressed by how much youth know today, and I think it's largely because of the internet. I just look at my brothers and me, and they're really one's a really strong feminist, and the other one's really strong against racism, and they're just able to speak in a language that I was never able to articulate when I was sixteen or seventeen. So I think um, the rise of the internet has made a lot of young teenagers more aware and more um i think probably have a better understanding of a lot of issues than um, mainstream australia but i think the the media is fundamentally letting down everyone and particularly youth and i can only speak i guess in relation to aboriginal affairs i mean i would my concern with lowering the voting age would just be whether a lot of aboriginal 16 year olds would actually be able to get to booths and and what the penalties would be or whether they'd know they're voting and the logistics around that so I just worry about what that what would happen, but I think it's um, a problem with the wider political system is, particularly with Aboriginal youth, I mean, who do you vote for to represent your interests anyway? I'm not a big fan of voting because there's no one there who represents the interests of Aboriginal communities as a whole. So I think we're... Um, I, while I support, I think, lowering the voting age, I think um, 16-year-olds are clever enough and politically aware enough to be able to vote for who they want. I still think we're failing as a country, a media and a political system, inform them about the issues anyway. Lisa? I just don't know that there's a, a big cohort of 16-year-olds that are really agitating for for the vote and Bill Shorten sort of come out with his policy quite uh, unsolicited. Um, 
and I, I, yeah, I, I, it's kind of it's really just come out of left field, and it, it seems to it's one of those policies that seems to sort of rear its head every every couple of years, and it will have a bit of a debate and then fade away. But I don't certainly don't think it's going to be an election winner for him. Talking about coming out with the policy in an unsolicited way, it was interesting watching the media coverage around this announcement because it didn't appear as if he had uh, like a ready cavalcade of supporters for the media to go to to then ask, is this something you want? The ABC's coverage went to a local skate park and asked people there, is this something you want? The answer they got, not so much. But uh, are those people necessarily representative of the broader cross-section of young people in our community? I don't know. Is Anthony? I don't know. He seems like pretty informed to me, maybe a little... More informed than the average Australian, let alone the average 16-year-old. I've posted this question on Facebook this morning asking that exact question, would you vote, do you think the media represents you fairly? Um, Someone who's in youth parliament responded, said, we had a vote on this, I think it was last year, three quarters said yes. But then someone else responded saying, youth parliament as well is not representative of the entire, I think, um, 16, 17-year-old population. I asked, what do you know about politics right now to some of my friends at school? They said, one thing was Tony Abbott is not a very nice word. And second, Malcolm Turnbull's pretty cool. Um, So I think that, again, relying on a lot of image there, but I think um, the youth aren't really engaging in politics. The youth, us, aren't really engaging in politics. And I don't think the media is allowing much for that because thinking of, like, I was asking my friends, how do you get the news? No one's saying, I go to the Sydney Morning Herald homepage, I go to watch Seven News at 6 o'clock every night. It's not more like that. It's more someone shares some some article in my feed, Facebook pops something up. But that doesn't really give a good balance of everything that's happening, especially Right, but in that Australia. content on Facebook is still being produced by the likes of Sydney Morning Herald or Seven News. It is, but it's not giving a full picture, I don't think, of everything that's happening because with Facebook's algorithms especially, they're giving you the content that you want to see. So if you're really passionate about same-sex marriage or something, you're going to see more on that rather than other other just as important issues. And I don't think it gives a very fair kind of um, representation of all the issues that are in politics right now. But could not the same be said for certain news outlets' uh, political positioning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Um, I mean, we tend to feast on the same the things that confirm our bias. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We, we we read the news that we want to that we want to devour, I guess. Um, but having said that, you know, there there is an argument to be made that the the legacy media, you know, print newspapers are a bit stuffy, and you are seeing, you know, the Sydney Morning Herald and the Australian, perhaps to a lesser extent, scrambling to try and um, bring on board younger readers and and younger voters. And so if the media can be more inclusive, then that might then inform more people and we might then be able to lower the voting age. I'm not necessarily putting my position uh, on that policy suggestion. Um, I'm just saying that the media does have an important role to play. Yeah, I noticed the Sydney Morning Herald, I think it was a month or so ago, they started putting a lot more videos on Facebook um, and putting a lot more native content of Facebook um, onto there. And I think that's being shared a lot more. And I think if you look at um, content put out by Channel 4 News in the UK, Al Jazeera, especially, that's getting a lot more sharing and traction online. Um, and they're more political issues that are spread in such a different light to maybe reading it in print or watching it on broadcast television. Absolutely. There's some really 
good quality video content coming out from the likes of Al Jazeera. There's also some pretty dodgy stuff. I mean, it's the Sydney Morning Herald, for example, and many other Australian big news providers are not above taking content directly from Vine or YouTube if they think it's going to get clicks. And so does that mean that in a way, the online media space has been diluted because they are trying to cash in on that, that younger market. I might put that question to our guests on the phone from Brisbane. Amy? I mean, I think younger people are actively seeking out information that's going to, um, yeah, obviously reinforce their views, but they're becoming a lot more aware of things. And I think it's, I think we um, maybe we don't understand just how um, intelligent they are because I think they they actually are consuming a lot more media than maybe their parents would in the past. Their parents might have just watched the seven thirty report or the six pm news, and that gives you a very blinkered view of the world. The only thing is that someone else is actually controlling what you're consuming, whereas now a lot of youth are actually going in and deciding what issues affect them and what's important to them and what they would potentially vote on. So I think potentially that they they could be a lot more aware than their parents' generation who had their media controlled for them and didn't really have a choice in what they were consuming. Yeah, and the younger you are, the more likely you are to change your position on a matter, the more receptive you are to different points of view. So giving credit where credit's due, albeit that Facebook may serve you up content that reinforces your political bias, um, maybe this is a question for Facebook and social media as opposed to the news media, um, and that is in the interests of democratic fair play, they need to tweak their algorithm to diversify the kind of content that's been thrown But it's up. a business, isn't it? I don't think they'll <laughs> ever do that. I mean, that's the problem with Facebook. It's just a big business. They're all about making money, so the algorithm are probably going to stay the same. Well, I guess that's why the likes of ABC is really important, because... You know, it's not a business. We pay for it as taxpayers and it's there to represent everybody and it should be giving uh, unbiased content. Um, although, uh, Amy, you don't think that's necessarily how ABC plays the game. I just think they should be giving, delivering the truth. I think this idea of objectivity is a false objectivity. When they talk about bias um, and everything like that and being partisan, you're never partisan as a journalist. Um, you're never objective. Um, the whole point is to find the truth and to explain it to readers, regardless of what side of politics we're on. But most of the time it just becomes a he said, she said sort of thing and people get caught up in political games. So I think that's a problem with the ABC, trying to understand how they how they um, actually report the truth um, and try and get under this idea of objectivity when it's just a myth, really. Well, look, that's all we've got time for on Fourth Estate tonight. So I thank you so much for closing it for me. Amy, joining us on the line from Brisbane, that's Amy Maguire, a journalist with New Matilda. In the studio with me has been Lisa Vizentin from the Sydney Morning Herald. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks. And Anthony Sigert. Uh, you can watch out for him on your TV screens or <laughs> taking over my job sometime soon. So don't forget you can find this show on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can tweet at us. You can find us on Facebook. My name's Marcus Costello. You've been listening to The Fourth Estate. Listener.